Welcome back to Mogs, listeners, fans, friends, people that want to learn some stuff today and get some laughs out of it too. Uh, we're doing a bit of a deep dive today with Tom and myself. Um, on the previous episode where it was just me and Tom, we talked a bit about things that you should explore prior to doing your first anabolic cycle. Uh, we talked about the drug talk, uh, meaning the talk that we'll have with clients where it's basically just an extended needs analysis, figuring out how bodybuilding fits in their life, how the drugs piece of bodybuilding fits in their life so that bodybuilding does not overtake the rest of their life in negative ways and is rather a nice thing that they have for their life. But all that's fine and dandy. We know you guys want to hear about what to actually do. Some of you are hell-bent on doing drugs no matter what. And, you know, um, we were like that earlier. I, I was like that earlier in college and such. So I want to give you some tools to be able to actually do things the quote-unquote right way to try to mitigate some of the issues um but first we are going to go through some of the things that you should have set up before utilizing anabolics um, and there is significant reason for this if you do not have these things well in place your health will decline much more significantly and more rapidly and will be harder to return once you start using anabolics. You will also get a lot more out of anabolics if these things are in place. You don't want to be that guy that's blasting a gram or more of gear, potentially year-round, to look like shit. If you don't look like you are definitely enhanced after a year of blasting and cruising, you have fucked up. You have started too early, or you do not have some of these things in place that we are going to talk about. Today is going to be full of harsh truths. I'm going to say some things that are offensive. If you are offended by them, that is a good thing. That means you are sensitive to these topics. That means that you need to be open to hearing other things. That means that sometimes the shoe may fit. If you disagree with anything I say, I love intellectual debates. I think that if they're with someone that knows about as much as me or more, they are incredibly fruitful. So if you send me a message with a bunch of bullshit, I'll tell you to fuck off and just re-listen to this. You send me with something thoughtful that you actually did not, you know, send to me while you were emotionally charged. I promise I will take my time to thoroughly dissect it, respond in an appropriate way. And I'm sure we will both grow as people, educators, bodybuilders, coaches, etc. from it. So I'm going to start off with a bit of a rant and then I'm going to let Tom rant. Okay. So. First part is before you consider using anabolics, uh, I'll define them a little bit. So there's anabolic androgenic steroids. I will probably just refer to these as AAs as we go through this for the sake of expediency. So they have anabolic properties, which means they will build, in this case, we're mostly concerned with building muscle, maybe connective tissue such as tendons, but for the most part with anabolic androgenic steroids, AAs, we're concerned with building muscle. Anabolic means building. Okay. They have some um, effects where they can also prevent the breakdown of certain things as well. And I won't bore you with those terms, but there is an effect to those as well. Some drugs do that today, but we're going to talk mostly about testosterone today and, and non-androgens. So you don't have to worry about the, uh, you know, the, the effect that the trend is going to have on your 
corticoid receptors and such. That's, that's some higher level stuff that no one listening to this and considering their first cycle should be fucking around with. Don't use trend for your first cycle. That's how I'll summarize that, okay? Um, so the first things first, actually get your blood work to see where you're at, okay? You don't know if you have low test just because you feel like you have low test. Why? Because these symptoms are all relative. What is high energy to you may be low energy to someone else and vice versa. You have to understand what your normal is in order to see how other things are going to affect you. But you should be trying to alter things in a positive way based upon real data of where you're actually sitting. Have to know your normal before you know what is better than your current normal. Okay, so we're going to do a full episode on blood work at some point, but uh, testosterone, free testosterone, estradiol, um, you can throw some IGF-1 in there if you have the money for it fasted insulin, HbA1c, basically a full metabolic panel, a full lipid panel, a full blood panel, um, and a few other goodies in there are things that you should do. I will be working with a wellness clinic under an official affiliation soon, so I know that I will personally have um, what I recommend for everyone to use uh, for a basic panel and an advanced extra thorough panel for men and women separated out. So when that happens, I'll do a full episode on that for maximal benefit and because we can't talk about everything in one episode. But get your damn blood work. Next, consistent sleep and awake times uh, with a minimum of six hours of sleep. For most people, a loose maximum of nine hours of sleep. If you can sleep longer than nine hours consistently, you probably have an incredibly physically and perhaps mentally draining uh, career, lifestyle, et cetera. You might need it. If listen to your body, if you feel like you need it, you need it. Okay. This isn't a whole episode on sleep. So I'll move on. Get sunlight in your eyes shortly upon waking. And then again, in the evening, avoid blue light for a few hours before bed or try blue light blocking glasses. Although I won't speak too loudly as to how effective they are in studies, but rather that through anecdotal evidence, meaning just, I've tried it. My clients have tried it. My friends have tried it. Fellow coaches have tried it, etc. These blue light glasses do seem to make us sleeper, sleepier earlier, which is a good thing when you're trying to get to bed and be consistent with sleep and wake times. Cold water immersion shortly upon waking can also make it easier to get up earlier. All of these things really talk about the circadian rhythm, which once again, we could do a full episode on, but I'm also not a neurobiologist or a psychologist, so I'm going to stay in my lane a little bit here, just give you those three quick tips and move on. I recommend the Huberman podcast if you want rather digestible, actionable items to work on those things. Eat foods with one ingredient, ideally sourced locally, largely animal-based in my opinion. That does not mean only animal-based. Only animal-based and only vegan. No, both extremes are very stupid. It is about, you know, not having too much of one thing. It is about mostly finding high quality sources not about following some religious style doctrine about what you should and shouldn't eat. Just think it through logically and humans evolve through different areas of the world to eat different foods. If you think it through, you shouldn't be super fucking restricted. It's dumb. Hard stop. <laughs> Said I'd say some offensive shit, right? Um, focus on your digestion. You are not just what you eat. You are what you digest. This took me very long to understand. I used to eat a bunch of shit. So I was thinking, need more calories, need more calories, need more calories. First of all, your health's going to go to shit. 
Second of all, you're not going to end up digesting things very well in the end, and it'll actually make you smaller for it. Even if you're some powerlifter that just wants to put on weight to put on weight, this still will not work in the long term. Please heed my prayer to not do what I did when I was younger. Okay, hot Cheetos and chocolate milk is not a very good dinner. Obviously, that's an extreme example. Now for the extra offensive stuff. Don't be a fat fuck because you will become insulin resistant. There is a spec. We have, we have a cutoff for diabetes, but basically the better you can get your body to use carbs and everything that you put in it, the healthier human you will be. You will also be a more um, aesthetic looking human. You will look better, feel better. Being a fat fuck is not good. Healthy at any size is a complete lie. Even if you are more active, there's still unique cardiovascular risks to being very overly fat. Notice I didn't say overweight because yes, absolutely as a bodybuilder, even if we weren't taking drugs, carrying this much muscle mass would not be healthy for us. However, I would argue that it is still perhaps less unhealthy than being tremendously obese. This is very common knowledge. No one should argue with this, but some people in their pursuit of finding dirty line comfort with lies, we'll try to push this onto you. The more you know about why this is bullshit, the more you can fight against that and make the world a better place. People deserve to be their best self, not to be lied to with comfortable lies. Related to that, um, being incredibly obese or close to it is a root cause of, I'm gonna see 99% of health issues and everyone who says different is a weak, soft, ineffective person who can't handle the truth, yada, yada, already got into that. And don't just take this from me, okay? So my partner, Kara uh, Dragunas, who is kind of functioned as an assistant coach on the TCY team, worked, she's a physician's assistant, okay? So it's a big step above nurses. It's still a noticeable step under doctors in a sense with what her responsibilities are, but as far as knowledge base goes and what she can do in the hospital when she worked in the hospital and what she can do in a doctor's office, it's pretty freaking similar to a doctor. Every single night she comes home and 99% of the patients that she's dealing with, the root cause or perhaps something else caused this root cause, which then caused all these issues, is based around being obese, being insulin resistant, eating yourself into these conditions. They'll say, I have this issue, I have this issue, I have this issue. Cool. If you look back to what increases the chances of those things happening, it really comes down to this. It is virtuous to actually try to look good and feel good. I'm obviously hammering down on this very, very hard, and I will move on. And then this is the last part of my spiel before I let Tom give his spiel, but this part is going to sound somewhat elitist or insensitive or super cheesy entrepreneurial, get out of your nine to five, but just hear me out here. If you don't set up your career, home life, and mindset, perhaps most importantly, to handle only a healthy amount of chronic stress, you're gonna be in trouble. Things are gonna happen. You're never gonna be your best self. You need acute bouts of stress, but prolonged excessive chronic stress will absolutely ruin your body and mind. Now, let's caveat to this. Whether your life is quote unquote low stress or quote unquote high stress, what matters even more is actually becoming self-aware practicing mindfulness, learning stress mitigation tactics such as breath work, meditation, and breaks from technology and work, and finding beauty in the chaos, as I like to put it. 
Life will always be stressful. That's how we grow and become more capable humans. We encounter stress, our bodies and mind respond to be able to be more capable of handling that stress. General adaptation syndrome, guys, if you went to college or studied this in high school, it's nothing new. This applies to so many different systems of the body and mind. If you learn to enjoy the struggle, you enjoy the journey of life a lot more and be tremendously more successful. Now you're like, hey, Jensen, stop being a hippie, stop being a psychologist, stay in your fucking lane, shut up, which is fair. But I do think you need to focus on all these things um, at least a bit, at least a bit, especially the last ones that I said, though, before you really start using any of these drugs, but especially the androgens. Um, Tom, before I let you start talking about L-carnitine, HGH, and other non-androgens, is there anything that you wanted to add to that very long spiel? Um, honestly, I think you covered pretty much exactly everything i would have said the only thing i probably would have added is probably if you're over the age of 30 and 40 looking to get into this i probably would look into some type of organ imaging um just so you could get a good baseline for um any type of you know scarring or damage your organs may have before uh you decide to make the jump it may help make that decision a little bit easier for you that you know maybe this isn't the path that your body um wants to go down in this period of time in your life especially um if you have some of these serious health issues like left uh ventricular hypertrophy or kidney scarring or any type of um you know non-alcoholic fatty liver disease or anything like that androgens are just going to uh, perpetuate that problem and make it worse so i would definitely look into uh some type of organ imaging especially if you are over the age of 30 or 40 um and have not touched anabolics especially if you've lived kind of you know not the healthiest life in the past but in terms of um, hopping on a cycle and what you could do before that, a lot of people hear the word steroids and they are um, very intimidated by it and they're very intimidated by using needles. Um, and so a bunch of people, especially younger populations, are probably going to want to look for some alternatives out there. And unfortunately, there is no real solid um, alternative to anabolic steroids are going to give you the same exact results, um, which is why I don't exactly recommend anyone take SARMs. Um, so yes, if you are uh, fucking SARM gobbling under the age of 21 looking on this video, you know, just turn it off and, you know, just masturbate violently for, for hours on <laughs> to, to anime fucking Hitachi porn or whatever, <laughs> whatever the fuck you got going on. But um, uh, there are... <laughs> you like that? <laughs> Keep going. This is great. <laughs> so basically, there are a few things you could use before um, hopping on, you know, testosterone or any type of anabolic energetic steroid that could aid in some type of benefit. One of them is injectable L-carnitine. Reason I say injectable, not oral. Oral is very, very um, shit in terms of bioavailability. So you're going to have to take a lot of it um, in order to get the same result that you would get from an injectable. And the problem with taking it orally is that uh, there are studies showing that it has TMAO or help uh, makes you release TMAO in your gut, which is actually a carcinogen, um, which could, you know, there's some theories about taking garlic with oral L-carnitine to help mitigate some of that TMAO um, in your gut. But for me, I just say personally, 
Uh, simply just, you know, inject it if you are not uh, averse to injections of any sort. What L-carnitine is going to do, it's going to help basically shuttle fatty acids to be burned in your mitochondria more efficiently um, so that you are basically, quote unquote, burning fat at a, you know, faster, more efficient rate. Um, there's also a bunch of plethora of other benefits on your liver um, in terms of preventing left uh, ventricular hypertrophy, which is growth of the heart, basically, in a nutshell. Um, there are other things you can use, such as insulin as well. Um, now, everyone hears the term insulin and thinks, you know, this is the most extreme drug of all of bodybuilding and everyone's going to fucking die and everyone's getting humongous bubble guts um, using insulin, which is just simply um, probably a combination of bro science slash uh, misuse of the drug. So there are ways to use drugs incorrectly to where you get all the negative side effects and none of uh, the positive ones. So for insulin, you know, you got to make sure that your life is in a solid place that you have a solid routine around your diet. Um, you know, it is a safer drug than a lot of people may think it is. Um, if you are good at math, if you are retarded and not good at math, then don't touch insulin. Uh, because, you know, take some effort into tracking your blood glucose, uh, tracking your insulin numbers in the morning, your HbA1c uh, on your blood work and making sure those are in good places. And if they are not in good places, you may look into something like a basal insulin such as Lantus. Um, the reason I usually, you know, prescribe Lantus or recommend Lantus versus, you know, Humalog, Humalin R as a first exposure is because it doesn't necessarily have a peak. Um, so your risk for hypoglycemia is going to be a lot lower, um, even though it is an all day insulin. <clears throat> I've found that, you know, most people do not experience significant hypo hypoglycemic effects um, in terms of using Lantus versus using something like a Humulin R, uh, which is a lot harder to time because you're going to have, you know, two separate peaks. So you, you really got to make sure you're on point with meal timing and making sure you bring a meal everywhere you go, just in case you go hypo. Again, this all comes down to dosages. It's not like, you know, if you're eating 5,000 grams of carbs and taking two units of Humulin R that you may go hypo. Same thing with Lantus. If you're, you know, blasting a whole pen of Lantus and, you know, eating a hundred grams of carbs, you're probably going to go hypo, which again, you know, find a coach, do your research, make sure you know exactly what you need to do before you actually do the drug. Don't experiment with it while you're doing it. Make sure you know what you're doing before you fucking put it in your body. It, people just amaze me sometimes. Um, anyways, SARMs, again, like I mentioned, oh, yeah, go ahead. Get into the next ones. I just had a few little pieces that I want to add to that. So I asked questions for with the L-carnitine and the oral consumption causing that release of that carcinogenic factor in the gut. Do you know if acetyl L-carnitine still does that as well? Because that would rapidly change my opinion of acetyl L-carnitine if we know or, yeah. I'm, I'm honestly not sure about the acetyl version. I'm guessing it would probably be the same because acetyl is kind of broken down similarly in the gut. Um, but yeah, I, I would not have a clue as to if there's any difference in terms of um, the way that it's broken down there. Makes sense. And then the other thing that I just wanted to say is the thing with insulin too, guys, it's like, I was very dumb about this when I first got into bodybuilding. It's not really used in powerlifting. So I was thinking like, Oh, that's the most deadly thing. Use some insulin. You're going to be on it for life. Cause I just had support. I, I just heard a bunch of silly stuff about it. No, you can actually preserve your pancreatic function. If you use insulin in the right way, if you're pounding food, it's, it's a necessity, honestly, for long-term health. 
Also, we have so much information on insulin from the medical field because it's been used for quite a while now. When there's something that's used in medicine, there tends to be a lot of research behind it. There tends to be very large populations that are diverse that have used it. So the information is very much out there. You might have to do a little bit of digging. You may have to pay for some mentorships. We'll eventually do an episode on it, but it is a higher level topic where if you are a complete idiot with it, you can fuck yourself up. I mean, you can do it with a lot of things, but basically if you pin too much test, you'll be fine. You pin too much HH, you'll be fine. You pin too much insulin and you don't have anything around you to eat or you go so hypo so fast you can't sip the Gatorade, yeah, you're going to be in for a bad time. Um, but before you even get to insulin, Tom, did you want to talk about um, glucose disposal agents, aka GDAs, like metformin or berberine, since we're already on that topic and that kind of fits in with the non-androgen piece? Yeah, definitely. 100%. So that would be what I looked into actually before you touch insulin. So this, my statements were kind of based off the assumption that you are using some type of glucose disposal agent prior to help manage that blood glucose before you, um, you know, deploy something like Atlantis or Humalog or Humulin R. Um, so what I would do is definitely look into something like berberine. Um, I definitely recommend berberine and the off-season over metformin. The reason I don't really like metformin in the off season is it makes you kind of shit at buffering lactic acid, as well as it causes some issues with the gut and also has appetite suppressant, um, you know, type effects as well as like slowing down gut motility. Um, so I would say that would be more a drug you would probably want to use in a deficit. Um, just because of all those effects are kind of positives in a deficit, not necessarily such a positive in a surplus. Um, I would probably look into something like berberine in a surplus. Um, the effects on the gut are really, really, really profound um, in terms of berberine being an antimicrobial. So it can help prevent things like SIBO, can help prevent uh, things like H. pylori from uh, building up in your gut. So using a little bit of berberine, maybe some oregano oil as well can help eliminate some of that um, you know, unhealthy gut bacteria, um, as well as help control glucose, which is kind of the whole point of taking both of those is that it brings down your blood glucose, helps shuttle, um, you know, carbohydrates, amino acids into your muscles, kind of similarly to insulin, hence why it is a glucose disposal agent slash insulin mimetic, uh, but not necessarily to the same uh, pathways that insulin would do it or as efficiently as insulin would do it. So yeah, that's kind of my take on GDAs. Yeah, that's a really, really good take. And I'm, I'm glad that I had you speak on that rather than me, because while I, I know I'd say 85% of what you just said, I've always kind of taken it as like a met if metformin messes up your gut, berberine tends not to for that same person. Like everyone seems to be really good with one or the other. Some people are okay with both. Very few are good with both though. Some people aren't really okay with either, but the way that you elucidated that whole conversation, uh, it definitely, I respond a lot better to berberine. If I had to choose just one to use with clients, I would use berberine. I think the main advantage of metformin is that you can get it pharma. So you know the dosing is going to be accurate and such. But at the same time, if you're getting real berberine, even if it's slightly under overdose, if you're using the same consistent product across an off season or more importantly during a prep, you're probably fine. So it's just learn what works best for you. You're probably not going to get a hypoglycemic episode from using uh, too much metformin or berberine. I mean, anything's possible, but you would probably have to not eat for a while, be taking high dosages, have a very unique response to it. So there is always a concern there, um, but I really, really like the way 
um, that you put that. Did you want me to do the MK677 first? Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah, if you could touch on that. I don't have too much experience personally with um, MK677. So. Yeah, I, I have excessive experience with it in a sense. Um, so I used this way, way back in the day. This was... I think actually the second thing that I ever threw into my first kind of stack and it's, it's, it's very, very useful, but it should be a short term thing. Um, also on, on the legality side, I should mention that as we go through this too, L-carnitine is legal. Um, HGH, you usually got to get, it's only legal for if you're getting pharma from a doctor. Uh, so one is clinic, which is super expensive. So I won't say anything more there. MK677, you can use my code Jensen20 at aminoasylum.com if you want to get it from there. But MK677 is legal and it's for research purposes only. For research, yeah, exactly. Insulin, though, is fully legal. So you can go into Walmart and get Noble and R and pin it intramuscularly. I can say that on the podcast because it's entirely legal. Thank yeah. you, Walmart. We love you. And Tom's actually the one that told me about that using it. I am. So thank you, buddy. That's uh, I've gotten some sick fucking pumps because of that. Um, but actually, before I go to MK677, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on the SARMs too. The thing with SARMs that I don't like about them, it's not that they're oral, so they're going to raise your liver enzymes. Because, yeah, that's not great, but, like, that's anything that's oral and anabolic. And, like, your liver can recover pretty fast. I mean, yeah, you might not have enough estrogen clearance if your liver's fucked up. But in the grand scheme of things, it's a pretty resilient organ, to be honest. And you can use NAC, you can use cut guts, whatever. That's not my main issue with it. My main issue is that it's going to drop your endogenous, so your, your natural test production, um, significantly. Um, some of them less more so than others, I will say that. Um, some, But it's just such a soft anabolic effect while still impairing your natural testosterone production that over the course of your time using it and then your time trying to recover from it, unless you're going to use tests after this, um, which why wouldn't you just do that from the get-go then? Um, it's, it's not a good overall effect. It's just, sure. Say you're adding plus five anabolic points from using a SARM, but then in three weeks in your natural test starts to crash. So that's minus three anabolic points. You're only a plus two man. And then when you come off, you're not going to have that plus five from the SARM, but you're still going to have that minus three from the natural test crashing. So you're then at a negative three for a bit until you get that back. And if you're unlucky, your natural test may not even ever fully recover to what it was prior to SARMs usage upon cessation of usage. So it's very stupid. And the fact that people will do a SARM and then do a whole PCT for it with Clomid and Novodex, I'm like, dude, you're throwing in more drugs than you would even need to do if you were just blasting and cruising using bioidentical hormones such as testosterone in order to just look like you have never hopped on anything. It's very silly. It's something that people do that really don't want to inject um, and that's why we're going through these other options, because no matter what path you go, SARMs for a first cycle is just really stupid. However, of course, there's always a little bit of positives and stuff. We like nuanced takes here. So here's what I will say. If, if you're going to stack a SARM on top of a test base because you're, you know, you're on TRT forever, you're cruising and maybe you want to throw in some SARMs as your as your blast, so to speak. OK, I, I could see there being a place for that. I don't like how little research there is with some of them. I don't like personally some of the side effects of some of the research ones, but say you're really, really worried about uh, getting your chick pregnant. Trestolone is not an option for you. 
whatever. You, you can use S23 as a contraceptive. It, it does work really well in the studies. The strength from it is great, but my issue with that and Rad 140 is the aggression is aggressive. It's it's an aggressive aggression. It's it's pretty intense. Um, I've stacked Rad 140 and test together, and I'll never do it again. Uh, I know Tony Hughes calls it Mad 140. I think that's a worthy name. I know people that are chill on it, but um, they were also using a source that it could have been something else. So I've never 100% seen someone not turn into a bit of an asshole on Rad 140. I don't think it's worth it. Going back to the stuff that I talked about earlier, if your mind is not in a great place, you're not going to have a net positive effect. Kind of same thing with S23. However, S23 is a little bit stronger, um, but it's also more toxic. Uh, it's, a, it's a stronger oral. So I don't I don't really recommend that. I think you'd be better off using something educational purposes like Anavar rather than an S23 or Rad140. Now, if you have an injury and you want to help with tendon healing or ligament healing or perhaps bone healing, anything like that, you could use Osterine, which I believe is MK2866. Don't quote me on that. I usually just call it Osterine because I don't talk about SARMs that much anymore. Or perhaps not for the injury piece, but just for a little bit more mass. Um, maybe if it's more available than D-ball or something, maybe you could throw in some LGD, whether it's LGD, what is it, 3033 or 4033. The, the, the one that starts with three is a shorter half-life and it's supposed to be a little bit stronger. But even then, this is a stretch, okay? This is just me explaining to people that I understand why you've done stuff, but also explaining that there's probably a better option for it. Um, let me just throw it in. Yeah, back, um, back to Tom. So basically, just because you can do any of those SARMs doesn't mean you should do any of those SARMs. And um, if you are a biohacker and just like experimenting, knock yourself out. But there are so many better options. And such as Jensen was saying, bone healing, you can get that from any anabolic androgenic steroid that, you know, promotes collagen synthesis, such as equipoise, which, you know, I wouldn't really recommend for most people, but anabar definitely has that effect and also is not metabolized by your liver. It's metabolized by your kidneys. So has a little bit, you know, safer um, implications in terms of, you know, the way that it's metabolized, um, it, depending in, on if your kidneys are in a solid position and your liver is not necessarily in a solid position, then maybe that conversation is a little bit different. But um, as far as like, the um, you know, Jesse was talking about uh, fertility and, you know, using it as sort of like a male contraceptive, you can also use trust alone instead of using um, Rad 140 or any of those or S23. Like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's that's my take on SARMs. Is you can you could, but it doesn't mean you should. There's <laughs> <laughs> a good there's a good sound bite right there. Um, all right, so I guess we'll get back into the the main anabolic stuff. So we we just kind of covered everything else that you could potentially explore before test. Every every situation is individual, so there's going to be a time when doing a test first cycle before MK or before HGH or before any of those things makes sense. By the way, we did a whole episode deep dive on MK677 and HGH prior. Once again, time limits. That's why we're not going into everything all the time within one episode. Please go back to that episode if you're considering using that prior to or in concurrence with anabolics. Okay. Now, da -da -da, looking at my notes. So when it gets to using tests, okay, we're going to try to separate this out by men and women a bit. But for overall, the first things that I was wrote was we have, we have TRT and then we have TRT+. plus. Okay, so TRT is going to be actually keeping you within the range that a natural male or female 
could realistically reside in or really freaking close to it, okay? It might be slightly outside of the range that you naturally could ever sit in, but that's kind of the point of using TRT. Some people are gonna use it because they messed up their own natural production. Some people are gonna use it because the genetics card and the epigenetics card and the way they were raised, just the cards they were dealt, their shit was never as high as it could be for them to live their best life in their and their doctors and or coaches opinions, okay? TRT plus is a little bit different. Okay. So this is, I kind of define this as the minimum effective dose that a bodybuilder, I guess, or powerlifter or MMA, whatever, whatever we're using gear for can use, um, to still have health metrics be better than they are during a blast, like noticeably healthier, like maintainable where it's not going to take a lot of years at your, off of your life. If you just ran this forever, at least as far as we can know, of course, you got to get blood work, got to get organ imaging. We'll never fully know, you know, that's just how life goes. Um, but this is something that you can hop back to and maintain all your muscle mass after doing a blast or a growth phase or a push phase, whatever you want to call it, you know, doing things that you can only maintain for, you know, 16 to 24, 30, 30 weeks, whatever, if you're going show after show after show after show and did a long prep in the worst case scenario, right? It's very important to establish this because if you don't know what you can realistically hop back to and have your health get back to where it needs to be before pushing again, you're going to set yourself up for failure um, because then you're never going to be healthy. So your body's going to stop responding the way it wants you to, even if you didn't give a shit about your health. Um, and there's also a mental piece of this too. I mean, I, I, you know, educational first, whatever. I enjoy, I enjoy how I am on, on test and primo most of the time, but there's certain stuff that um, could be, could hypothetically be thrown in during a prep, such as certain NOR-19s that help you hold on to a ton of mass and are always talked about on TikTok and stuff that do have unique aesthetic effect, really hold up training performance at the gym and such. But I'm telling you, I'm never going to run that shit for more than four weeks. Okay. I'm not going to run, I'm not going to run trend for a long time ever again, guys. Right. And if you do run something that aggressive, such as a trend or a halo test or an anadrol or uh, maybe even a bunch of EQ if your kidneys are sensitive to it, or you know, there's, there's a lot of different harmful drugs you can use for bodybuilding. You got to have a safe place to come back to from those situational use of drugs. Okay. Those are not building long-term drugs. You have to have your steady base of test, maybe test and primo, and maybe your other, you know, stuff that are non-androgens that all link together that you can still grow off. Of. You have to have this base. Um, I'll let Tom get to what he thinks of that, you know, that base should be things that you should evaluate before or while you're figuring out that base. But my last little note too is Tom, I, we might differ on this. We might agree. I don't know, but my, my take on the whole part of the reason that you need this base is because man, once you do your first real cycle or if you do a few cycles, the chances of your natural test coming back to what it originally were are pretty low. There, there's, there's absolutely outliers to this. I know people that have framed a cycle where after they came off of everything, they didn't even PCT and their, their test stayed higher than it was before. I think it's because they overall became a healthier person during the cycle and then just doing the cycle made them look better, which led to a catalyst of a lot of good things. Uh, in their mental state, like that does happen. I'm not going to say you should hop on tests to become a better person or have better mental health. That's usually not how that works. But if your test was really low before and you hopped on real TRT or your test was low before and you hopped on a cycle and you managed it well, I mean, the, the shit does happen. But what I'm not a fan of is the whole uh, PCT 
for, for most situations and for most people. Here's why. You're saying, oh, you should stay on drugs forever? Well, kind of. <laughs> um, PCT drugs are, are drugs to start with, too. They come with their own risks and, I guess, potential rewards if you use them in the right way. But I think that doing a full PCT where your, your only goal is to get your natural uh, testosterone production back and get everything in range that the downstream effects of testosterone increasing are going to have, such as estrogen, DHT, all the things that those lead to, you got to uh, you got to consider how hard of a process it's going to be, how much stress that is going to take on your body. And if just going back to a cruise dose after blast is healthier than pounding gear and then letting all of your shit crash and just taking some Nolvidex and Clomid and HCG and thinking that everything is going to be fine and dandy. It's not how it works. Okay, it's not how it works physically most of the time. I'm telling you mentally, that's never how it fucking works. You feel like a god or like evil Superman at the gym. Your, your cock is hard 90% of the time. You look good. Your girl wants to fuck you all the time. Training's going well. You're hungry. Eating's going well. You just eat more and you look better. And then you go to low testosterone for weeks. You're going to be depressed. There's no fucking way. I don't care how mentally strong of a person you are. You're going to go through some shit during that time. And you really think that this big increase during a blast and then this crash for a long period of time is the healthiest way to go about it for most people? Absolutely fucking not. I know that Jay Cutler was on a podcast and he claimed that blasting and cruising is stupid and you need to PCT and shit. And obviously I'm not Jay Cutler. I'm not as much of an authority. But there's a reason that most pros these days agree with what I'm saying rather than the opposite. There's a reason the industry has moved forward in this way. It's not just because we like injecting all the time. I'll tell you that much. I, I fucking hate injecting, guys. I really fucking do. It's something I just make myself do because for the next 10 years, five years, whatever, I'm going to be a bodybuilder and I need to do this. But I accepted when I started pinning, this is why I made myself wait, that once I started pinning, I was going to have to pin at least, at least once every two weeks, more likely once a week for the rest of my fucking life. This goes back to the drug talk that we had the other day. But yeah, PCTs are not healthy. They should be safe for a fertility protocol. You should just hop back to the safe dose when you are not blasting pass at a time. I 100% agree with Jensen. PCT is <clears throat> something you, I would consider it something that you would have to do um, if there's some type of life scenario that warrants you coming off for any uh, considerable amount of time, say um, your fertility is not necessarily in a great place and you uh, kind of need to clear all androgens out of your system to kind of uh, restart that, you know, oxidative stress process in your testes, then I would probably, you know, consider coming off all drugs completely, PCTing, waiting a bit, retesting your fertility. Um, if it's still not in a good place, maybe do some type of fertility protocol, whether with a wellness clinic or somebody who has, you know, extensive knowledge in the space, and then coming back, retesting, just go from there, basically with fertility. And if you have something like a job where, you know, they drug test you for it, and um, not saying a competition, but a job that they drug test you for it, then you may want to, you know, consider coming off things. Most jobs don't test for androgenic anabolic steroids though, but some do. I've actually come across that a few times. So uh, definitely consider those two things when doing a PCT. Law enforcement does. That's a big one. I have a lot of people, I'm wearing my XL shirt right now. There's a lot of, not saying that I train. <laughs> I'm saying there, there's a reason that all of those guys back in Maryland, they usually go to a place called Life Med. 
Uh, but there's, there's a reason that you'll see like a lot of law enforcement people, a lot of healthcare workers uh, or first responders, I, I should say specifically, um, that they rep their wellness clinic of, of their choice all the time because there is a legality issue. And also, yeah, traveling and shit. I mean, if you need to not have your your gear with you, yeah, you should probably get your natural shit back in order. So that was, that was a very valid point. Sometimes life is a consideration. All these things that I'm saying are most ideal are not going to be ideal for every single scenario. So I, got, I want you guys to understand that. Take what we're saying, actually try to apply it to your life. DM us if you have questions, guys. We obviously love talking about this shit. We're doing it for free for you guys just to help you guys. So use yeah. us. So there are a million different ways you can go about, you know, doing this for different million different situations you come across life. So um, this is a generalized perspective in terms of, you know, what is the ideal, but we know not everyone has the ideal. Very few people do. And your life isn't always going to be ideal. So um, you definitely want to make sure you know what to do when those unideal circumstances pop up in your life beforehand so that you can make the right decision and right call at the right time. Um, in terms of a good baseline dosage for um, TRT, I would say I would just go by uh, the recommended and whatever is in the medical literature, anywhere from 100 to 200 milligrams per week. I would say 200 is probably a little bit generous for most people, but you know some people do end up at the high end of the reference range. And basically, it's not based off the dosage; it's based off your blood work. So 150 milligrams in you isn't going to do 100. What 150 milligrams is going to do to Mr. Jones down the street, right? So what your body responds to, how your body processes the, the drug how it aromatizes, how you convert to DHT through 5-alpha reduction are all going to be based on your own biological inner individuality and inter-individual response to these compounds. So you got to make sure that you know what you're, like Jensen was saying before, know where your levels are before. If they are low, bring them up to the high end of the reference range. I would say anywhere from 700 to 1000 nanograms per deciliter on your blood work would be considered high normal. Uh, and anything above, I would say a thousand would be considered TRT plus. So dosages for TRT plus, I would say anywhere from 200 to 300 milligrams total. That's not talking testosterone only because some people may not necessarily be able to handle 300 milligrams of testosterone by itself without an aromatized inhibitor, but you may need 300 milligrams total and, and anabolic load in order to hold on to the tissue in between cycles. Hence why it's called TRT plus you may use something like a primobolin, a Mastron, um, Anavar, which I probably wouldn't recommend in a health phase because of the implications on uh, kidney liver, but you know, it's a pretty mild drug. So I'll throw that in there anyway. Um, but yeah, you would use those drugs to help control aromatize, bring your anabolic androgenic load up to 100 milligrams per week and uh, sorry, 300 milligrams per week of like whatever combination brings your blood work in a solid range in terms of estrogen, DHT, testosterone, um, and whatever makes you feel the best on that. So that's kind of like a broad framework. Again, it's very, very, very much based on biological inner individual response. So like I was saying previous, I can't reiterate it enough, how you respond to a drug is not exactly how someone else is going to respond to a drug. So just because your body took 175 milligrams and he ended up at 1500 milligram, 1500 nanograms per deciliter on his blood work doesn't mean that's what's going to happen to you. You may only end up at 400 and you may realize, hey, this actually 
brought me lower than where I was before. I was at 600 and I'm just, you know, I don't necessarily process tests into testosterone and free available bio, bioavailable testosterone in my bloodstream the same way someone else does. So I need to make sure that, you know, I am accounting for my own response um, in these dosages as well. So that is where, you know, having someone who's experienced helping you guide guide you along this process and making sure they're keeping track of those numbers and kind of know uh, the small little tweaks and adjustments you need to make um, in this sort of like dosing protocol for either TRT or TRT plus uh, comes in, you know, handy big time. So I'm going to pass it to you. Anything, anything to add to TRT, TRT plus? Man, I think you covered like 95 plus percent of what I was going to, what I would possibly say there. Um, I'm going to kind of use something you said to transition to the the female piece in a sense. Um, the limiting, so there's, there's two different parts of the bio-individual response to this, right? So there's how your body metabolizes the, the exogenous, meaning you're injecting it in this case, um, testosterone, because you're going to get a various level of, like you said, test, free test, and then also what these things metabolize into your estradiol, your DHT, there's downstream effects as well. One of these is going to become the limiting factor to how much test you can run, even as for TRT or TRT plus without having negative health impacts. The other part of this though, too, is different levels. You, you take two people, their blood work looks the exact same. They might still be having different symptoms or lack of symptoms. What feels like a thousand um, nanograms per deciliter of test to me might feel great. I might feel energetic. My dick works great. I sleep great. I train great. My body's using food well. My stress management is great. All these things. Someone else may have side effects from this. Maybe their estrogen, same thing, uh, get, gets high off of this like mine does, but maybe maybe I can handle high estrogen better than they can. They could be growing bitch tits, gyno, um, while I'm completely fine. I have a friend like this. He, I, I don't know. He's got some weird genetics where he's not even that lean, but he just like doesn't aromatize from tests like at all. It's insane. He can run like a gram or more zero issues. Yeah. His blood pressure goes up a little bit, but he doesn't get gyno from like anything. It's, I want his, his gene, but I don't have it. So that's like my limiting factor. For example, how much test I can use on a cruise dose before I would need to swap something out for Primo or something of the like. And then at that point, you're obviously talking about TRT plus. I will probably never come back down to actual TRT until I'm done bodybuilding. I will have to be one of those TRT plus guys for my cruising and blasting. We're all about brutal honesty here, right? So it's a self-imposed struggle that we <laughs> go through for bodybuilding because we find it worthy to do in our life. For a while, we don't pretend it's healthy. We just pretend that it's something that is worth us doing. Okay, guys. Um, so when I when I harp on people being fat fucks, yes, bodybuilding is also unhealthy, but I'm not claiming that it's healthy. That's the difference. Okay. It's the difference between bodybuilders and healthy at every size. No one who competes is like, yeah, that was healthy. No, none of us are that fucking stupid. And anyone would call us on our bullshit because we're all assholes who have our, especially for chicks, we have our ribs sticking out at the end of a prep dudes dicks don't work i mean it's just it, it doesn't even look healthy to the outside okay so we are aware of that just wanted to say that because i've had some interesting dm conversations lately um so limiting factors for how much a guy can run on trt just some things off the top of my head tom you'll probably have some good stuff to contribute for this before i move into the female piece because their list is a little bit different as i'll get into but i'm at a crit 
red blood cell count, lipids, cholesterol, CRP, so C-reactive protein, it's an inflammatory marker. Um, Tom, I think you, you monitor what IL-6 pretty closely in some of your guys. Do you want to, do you want to go into some of the stuff you monitor with people before they would be allowed to uh, utilize even just actual TRT or TRT plus before I go into the women's stuff? So basically a full hormone panel, full full metabolic panel. Um, if cholesterol is off, I may have them do um, some type of test to see their lipoproteins or something like that um, to make sure everything is in a good range. But um, in terms of blood blood work and blood markers, I just want to kind of see a full of hormonal profile, um, kind of want to see where their DHT is at, where their estrogen is at. Um, and metabolic markers. I don't really look too much deeper in the initial thing unless something is off. And then we may um, look a little bit deeper into what is the actual issue right there. Perfect. I fully agree. Appreciate you explaining that. So part of this is going to be read from something that I typed on my phone so that I don't miss too much. Um, some people find this offensive. And I just want to say, before I say any of this, if you are someone who has these side effects, whether you wished to, well, not wish to incur them, but whether you accepted that you may incur these side effects or whether you or a coach mishandled uh, your anabolics and you accidentally virilized or something of the like, um, I don't love you or hate you more or less for any of that, man. I'm just speaking the truth. I'm, I'm a scientist, dude. My, my journey is just for truth. So I'm just saying these things that people have the information available so that if they want to do something, they can do it in the wisest way possible. And if they want to avoid something, they can avoid that while still getting freakishly big and strong as you probably want to if you're listening to this podcast. Okay. So for women, all the health markers that we talked about are still very relevant, but typically, especially with lower dose PED and anabolic usage, the limiting factor is more so going to be virilization, aka masculinization. So these are going to be the things that we consider secondary sex male characteristics, meaning when we're in the fetus and when we're boys and girls before puberty, uh, boys and girls are relatively alike in many senses. Obviously, the difference in chromosomes will dictate a lot of differences from the get-go. But um, when you go through puberty, that's what makes you a man. When you go through uh, puberty as a female, so it makes you a female. Okay, I know people have been trying to confuse this a lot. But once again, I'm a truth seeker. I'm not a people pleaser. So with that in mind, yeah, some of these things that men get as they go through puberty are going to be things that women can get as they go through uh, exposing themselves to more testosterone than either is off the range or or below that, but it's still out of the range that their body can accept without having these virilization symptoms. There's plenty of women who are going to virilize and get these masculinizing features before they reach 100 nanograms per deciliter. I think Carol will be okay with me talking about this some at this point, at least on the podcast. Uh, before we started her prep, um, it took us a while to actually get in contact, get the products and such for TRT usage, but she used physiological, well, <laughs> once they figured it out, she was using physiological dosages of test and thyroid for her prep because using those things correctly for prep is absolutely healthier than doing a prep natty. You'll have better effects during the prep. You'll be able to recover better after the prep. If you guys want to fight me on this, we're going to do a whole episode about it. Save your comments for that. Okay. But Main factor for women's anabolic usage is going to be that they don't want to, quote unquote, turn into a man. I'm not here to speak on what being a woman means. I'm not here to speak on what being a man means. 
but there are characteristics specific to men as we go through puberty, after we go through puberty, that most women do not wish to incur, but some are absolutely willing to accept um, for their love of the sport and the specific category that they are in, that does it, that will require some masculinization just from having to use enough antibiotics that those things will happen. And if you love a sport that much that you're willing to do that, I love that. That's fucking fantastic. We are all choosing to do something here that is not necessarily healthy in every aspect uh, because we love a sport. That's awesome. Okay. But the voice deepening, the facial structure changes, and the enlarged and increasingly sensitive clitoris are all mostly permanent side effects that can't really be undone. Okay. You can practice talking in a higher voice or get some sketchy vocal cord shaving surgery for the voice thing. You can have a sketchy jaw, cheekbone, or chin shaving down surgeries for the facial changes. And the click could become less sensitive and swell less upon cessation of virilizing dosages of tests or other androgens, but he can't really completely undo it. <clears throat> so don't be the coach that turns your female client into a more masculine person without fully explaining the repercussions that they may regret immediately or down the road when bodybuilding isn't as big of a part of their life as it used to be. There is life beyond bodybuilding. Okay, you're a coach and you're all in with this, you still need to keep that in mind. Okay, even if it's your everything, a lot of people that come to you, it's not going to be their everything and it's not going to be their everything forever. I will die on this hill very happily. So, we talked a lot about a needs analysis in the last episode, but we didn't necessarily talk about it too, too much with females. We're going to probably say that for a different episode where we have women from different categories, different levels of virilization, et cetera, talk about this, talk about their femininity, talk about where they want to go in the sport, how that all fits in with them, because we as men probably are not going to have the most valuable perspectives with that. Okay. But that is, so that's why I'm not going to go super deep into the needs analysis because it's a very personal thing. It's going to depend on the person. All right. But you need to do one as a coach. You need to figure out okay, how far do they actually want to go? What do they want their life to look like after bodybuilding? What's the way that we can avoid certain things we want to avoid? And if they really don't care about avoiding anything, then okay, cool. Maybe they can do open bodybuilding for women. Maybe they can do women's physique division. And then you need to worry more about the health metrics, okay? It becomes more like um, coaching a guy on PDs at that point, okay? So if you greatly masculinized yourself to go pro in bikini, your coach shouldn't have been coaching women when they were coaching you. Yeah, I'll catch hate for that, but I don't really care. I speak truth, not comfort, because these harsh truths are what actually help people, okay? Now, less permanent masculinizing changes could be new body hair, increased aggressive drive, acne, or other skin conditions, increased sweating, or increased clit sensitivity that does not coincide with an actually noticeably enlarged clitoris. Uh, when you get a very enlarged clitoris, um, to keep in mind, the clitoris actually makes up a lot more of the whole female reproductive pleasure system than most people realize. Okay. Um, it's not just like this tiny little bulb that guys can't figure out where the fuck it is until they're 22 and women stop lying and them saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, no, dude, you're just, you're just fucking pushing on a button and you don't really fucking understand it. Like swirls around it what i'm not going to explain fucking how to give a girl head but there's just just do some fucking research guys because jesus christ 
it's it's ridiculous um you can play xbox all day and fucking know how to use a joystick yeah you know you gotta, you gotta spin the like when yeah. you're spinning to aim it's more like that than like smashing yeah. the b button like oh, yeah. it's fucking good for you it's fucking good for you no it's not fucking good for a dude if some dude just like like poked your urethra like the tip of your dick over and over again that doesn't fucking do it for you so just like apply some logic communicate yeah. Again, off on a tangent here, but it, it's whatever. You know, people need to know how to have fucking sex to live their best life. So whatever. So you do a whole episode on how to you do it. a whole episode on it. We'll bring we'll bring care on or whatever. It's fine. We'll, we'll just, it'll be great. Um, but yeah, if, if your clip gets super big, it, it looks like a mini dick. Basically, it's this like weird little thing that kind of flops out. Um, sorry, I shouldn't say I shouldn't say weird. I'm sure some there's a king for everything. So Female to male transgender people, so biological female that wants to be viewed as a male, identifies as male, etc. Uh, they may want to have that uh, clit dick of sorts, perhaps, or they just, you know, it becomes a point of pride. It's like, whatever, this is this is my clit dick. I identify with this clit dick. You know, they, they figure that shit out. Good for them. But um, most women are not going to want that. They're not going to want that. They're going to want to maintain their femininity. Um, as much as possible while still being as competitive as they can within their given bodybuilding category. So be careful. Okay. Duh. Start as low as two megs a week of, of tests and phase up to a maximum of 10 megs a week. I think that's a pretty good maximal dose. Um, everyone's individual response is different. I've heard of people needing to go all the way up to 20, but I think once you get past 10, you'd probably just be better off throwing in uh, something that's less androgenic and probably would have less broad range and side effects. So like Primo is a common one and is a common one shit like that. And needless to say, if you're going above 10 megs a week of test, you better have all your non androgens in place or you're just really, really giving yourself too much risk for virilization without just doing the other proper things in place yet. I understand the test is very cheap. It's very easy to get legally and stuff, but you really should have maybe the HGH and SLIN or GDA or carnitine piece in there before you're going over 10 megs a week of test. Okay. Um, you got to monitor the side of the, your levels and the side effects as you go. Okay. So I, I tell people to test at least every six weeks while they're figuring out their best dosage. Uh, I recommend a shorter ester such as acetate or more commonly what they'll have available is uh, propionate or prop as people call it uh, for a woman's first TRT exposure, as it makes clearance of androgens more rapid in the case of unwanted side effects, meaning if you start noticing a body hair or something like, oh, I didn't have this hair in my hamstrings before or something, cool. You, you can stop. You can skip your next shot and then do only half as much for the next one with test proper acetate, and you're probably going to be good to go. But if you slammed way too much test, enanthate, cypionate, decanate, undecanate, all these longer esters that the advantage is you don't have to pin as often, but the disadvantage is that it's going to take longer to clear your system. Hey man, it's, it's, uh, that, that voice deepening onset can be very fast. And if you have androgens sitting in your system for pretty long past that, I mean, you could maybe toss back a few finasteride pills and try to clear out some of the DHT and androgens in general, um, in that sense. So maybe have finasteride on hand if you're a woman, uh, even that's really, that's stretching it. Just do this shit the right way. So you don't have to just take more drugs on top of it. Okay. Um, but some women are going to want to inject less frequently or have an intolerance to the acetate or especially the propionate esters. 
So once you really have your dosage locked in, then you can experiment with trying a longer ester such as dicoinate, enanthate, cypionate, or undicoinate. The limiter here is which esters you use will likely, like which ones will actually be available um, to you, whether it's through a wellness clinic or whatever. Um, so it's, it's tough to find. It's also tough to find um, appropriate milligram per milliliter vials uh, and prescriptions for women because they're all, it's so new. Women, women taking testosterone, especially without some uh, very strict medical intervention for a specific use case in the medical literature, it's pretty new. Okay. Wellness clinics that were giving women testosterone is a pretty new thing. And that's why there's a lot of misinformation out there. That's why a lot of them are starting women off at 10 MIGs a week from the jump, which, or more, or more, which, which is wrong, which is wrong. If you're doing that, please stop, stop running a wellness clinic consult with someone that actually knows what they're talking about because you could truly mess up a woman's life for the rest of her life. You could destroy her sense of her own femininity with a week of fucking up. Okay. So you, you really need to respect that with what you're doing. Okay. I understand that we're all here to make money sometimes and run into business is hectic and stuff. I get it. I run my own business, but I'm telling you wellness clinic guys, stop putting women on 10 MIGs a week from the jump. Okay. Two to three makes to start make them take their time. Even if they see less positive effects at first, I don't care. Start them off slow, repeat the blood work, slowly titrate up until they're having the best effects that they can possibly have without any side effects that they see as unwanted or health effects that continue on that cycle will continue to perpetuate, okay? DM me at tcy.coaching if you need help finding a wellness clinic that actually does shit right. As like I said, I'm going to be affiliating with a wellness clinic here officially soon so that we can help people together. Um, now that we got through that whole rant with the women's side, Tom, is, is there anything you wanted to add to the women's side before I let you talk about actually doing a blast on the men's side? 100%. I think you covered um, like literally everything there is to know about that. Um, and like Jensen said, two milligrams, you're not going to be able to measure that in a 250 milligram per milliliter vial. You need to get women testosterone, which is usually dosed at like 50 milligrams per mil. I've even seen up to 10 milligrams per mil women's tes testosterone in like a vial, which is insane and very, very handy for dosing. Um, the only thing I would add in terms of switching esters is you do have to calculate availability based off ester weight. So um, that may be something that's a little bit more pertinent with women versus men, just because of the dosing and how sensitive, just small little changes in testosterone can have a humongous impact on a woman, say seven milligrams of testosterone available in the bloodstream versus eight milligrams of testosterone available in the bloodstream eight could cause, you know, crazy voice deepening while seven may be the perfect amount that that women should be using. So even such slight, small changes in that um, are going to cause an effect um, that, you know, is probably unwanted um, in the long run. And the last thing I wanted to add is <clears throat> in terms of keeping track of side effects, um, you, women talk about this. So, um, I mean, there's plenty of fantastic educators out there like Corey Hagman, I think is a really, really good resource. If you're a woman who wants to hop on cycle, if you coach women who want to hop on cycle, I would definitely look into, um, you know, what she has to offer in terms of information. Uh, but she mentioned taking pictures of your clitoris, 
you know, keeping it to yourself, obviously not putting it on the internet or on your OnlyFans unless you want to make some money. But <laughs> only, only clits, only large clits. Don't give me any ideas, man. Don't give me any fucking ideas. <laughs> you said it. There's a thing for everything, man. So, <laughs> so yeah, you know, taking pictures, compare it week to week. There's also a voice pitch analyzer app, which you can use to, you know, sense changes in your pitch, in your voice. Um, and I would probably do that more frequently towards the start of your anabolic journey. And as you go on, you could probably get a feel uh, for how things are, you know, moving in that direction in terms of that. But uh, getting to males now. So this is, oh, right, go ahead. I just had two really little things uh, that you made me think of. One, also, you should really only be doing pharma if you're a female, because once again, if it's slightly under or overdosed, you got to figure out exactly where your cruise is, which is one piece, but your, your shit can get fucky a lot faster if your stuff is off or slightly overdosed. A guy gets overdosed here. It's like, fuck yeah. A girl gets overdosed here. She's like, I'm a man now. That sucks. <laughs> so you got to be careful with that. And then for the measurement piece, um, it's not super perfect or super necessarily convenient, but they do have point three milliliter insulin syringes so it makes it a little bit easier to measure so we got Tara some of those instead of using the full um milliliter uh slim pins because it's just she can get it a little bit more accurate also just when in doubt just just go with a slightly lower amount like you know there's kind of always a little bit of an air bubble if you're pulling especially if you're using a slim pin you're not backloading it you're just pulling it from the vial it's always going to be a little bit of that just just act like that little bit of bubble is just oil. Just play it safe, okay? But And also keep it consistent so you can actually uh, track it. But, Tom, you, you added a lot to that, and that's good. So I'll let you talk about uh, when guys are actually ready to get, like, bigger than they can get naturally or get to where they can get naturally faster and then eventually get beyond it. What, what do they do, Tom? What's the magical formula? Do I do 500 tests or 500 tests and some DECA? Do I do test and trend? What do I do? Yeah, just shut up and take your 500 MIGs, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everybody on the message boards back in like 2010, 2000s. <laughs> It's just 500 megs, shut the fuck up, deal with your gyno and hair loss and uh, crippling loss of your wife. And <laughs> it's just, yeah, um, probably do not start with 500 megs. I would think that's a pretty excessive dose unless, um, no, not unless, that's just an excessive dose period. Like if you're going to do a first cycle, I think that, you know, probably most of us have done it. That was my first cycle um, was 500 megs of test initially before um, we hopped on contest prep and threw in trend and mass round and Anavar and Winstrol. And you don't want to do that because, um, you know, there's a lot I could have gotten out of just testosterone at a lower dose than, you know, starting off with, you know, an actual contest prep cycle as my first cycle. And that's something I regret. I wish I did it differently um, in the past. And it was just bad advisement on other people's parts. Um, so hopefully you listen to this and get good advisement. So what I would do before you even start, like we mentioned previously, get your blood work, know where your testosterone is at. If your testosterone is low and has been low for like a pretty considerable amount of time, you could probably just bring that up 
to, you know, top of the reference range, like we're talking about TRT and make a pretty good considerable amount of results um, off of that alone. So what if you, what do you do if your testosterone is high, high normal, and you're like, Hey, you know, now is the time where I want to, you know, compete in the next few years. I have a reason for doing this. Maybe it's not competing, but you have a solid reason for doing this thing. And you're like, Hey, this is, this is something I want to do. I know I'm not going to have any regrets. You know, the risks associated with it. And then you're like, okay, what I would do is probably start at somewhere around 200 milligrams per week. Maybe that some people would think that's, you know, too conservative, but hear me out for a bit. 200 milligrams per week is probably not going to cause you significant, significant health issues for most people. Obviously, there's going to be some people who are outliers who may have a horrible response to test their cholesterol, RBC, and everything just goes to shit. They have a horrible time managing it. Then steroids aren't for you. I'm sorry. It's just not for you. The NBA isn't for me. I'm 5'7", so steroids aren't for you, buddy. <laughs> so you know, the world's not perfect. It's not fair, and not everyone can do everything and just get away with it. So that's a harsh reality of, of life. Um, what I would do from then wait you know just ride it out ride out 200 milligrams for a couple months get your blood work done see where you're at has your cholesterol changed how's your estrogen looking how's your dht looking okay all of those things are looking good am i still making progress or am i i'm not starting to stall and not make progress anymore if you're not making progress anymore and you know all those other things in your life are in play such as you know nutrition stress sleep training and all those different things are, you know, optimized at least, then you could consider going up in dosage a little bit. How much I would say go up 50 milligrams per week. So go up from 200 milligrams to 250 milligrams. And this way you can stay on cycle for a pretty fucking long time for that first cycle. Have a pretty long first exposure that you can have for months, not 12 weeks, not 16 weeks. Those numbers are so arbitrary. It's like, why would you stop at 12 weeks at 200 milligrams per week when, you know, your coach is probably running 500 milligrams for a cruise and calling it a health phase? It makes no sense. Your heart, your kidney, your liver isn't that much different from that person's. It's experience, right? So you want to make sure that you're using the least amount possible to get the most amount out of it possible for the longest amount of time that you can possibly be exposed to higher androgens without experiencing all those negative side effects. And once you start experiencing those negative side effects, like we were mentioning before, you move back down to a TRT, TRT plus baseline, and then clear up those blood numbers and then carry on as usual. If you decide to obviously continue on based on seeing the skewing of your blood levels. So what I would do is, you know, 200 milligrams per week, 250, weigh it out, maybe go up to 300 milligrams. So what do you do when you start to experience, say, estrogen side effects, DHT side effects that are unwanted? Obviously, we all know you're going to use anabolics. Hair loss is part of it. It's hard. It's very much hardly avoidable if you do this for a long period of time, especially. So um, you're going to kind of have to accept that some of, some of that is going to happen. You could use finasteride, you know, ketoconazole shampoo, uh, DHT blockers, such as that to help with that. But at a certain point, you're going to be taking other anabolics 
if you decide to, you know, continue on this journey, which are going to perpetuate further hair loss that you're not going to be able to block with DHT blockers, which, you know, may actually make it worse in some cases, such as if you're using Nandrolone, uh, your DHM may go up and you're, you just start shedding like crazy if you're using something like finasteride. But that's a whole different conversation. What do you start to do if you start experiencing high estrogen, <clears throat> high blood pressure, or high DHT? With high estrogen, you know, I would pull back the dose just a little bit, write it out until you stop making progress again, and then pull back to a TRT dose, call it your first cycle right there. Whatever, however long you ran it, six months, eight months, one whole year, baby. Call it, call it there, pull back your dose back to that safe amount, write it out for another couple months, keep it there. Same thing I would probably do with hair loss if you can't use any type of, you know, finasteride, DHT blocker, uh, are you whatever are you i'm just gonna call it are you bald basically are you bald take it if you're not don't take it so um what i would do in terms of blood pressure is probably looking at something like tomasartan which is an arb um obviously you know if you're controlling all of those other life stressors such as sleep um nutrition sodium intake hydration and all those different things so your first cycle in a nutshell should not just be an arbitrary number that you put on a table like, oh, this is going to be a 12 week cycle of 500 megs of test. It's going to be a 600 week cycle, uh, six, 600 weeks, six, 16 week cycle <laughs> of 600 megs of test or something like that. No, you just start small. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you start small, you titrate up based on dose and you titrate up slowly, smallly and effectively. And then you keep track of that. You write that down in, in a notebook. You keep a mental note of it if you have a really good memory that, hey, this is the amount of testosterone I can handle before I get side effects. This is the amount of testosterone I can handle before my blood pressure gets out of whack. This is the amount of testosterone I can handle uh, before I start getting gyno. And obviously, we know those things change based on the environment that your body is currently in, say you are extremely overweight and maybe you did a dreamer bulk on your first cycle and went from something like 10% body fat all the way up until 20% body fat, your aromatization levels at 20% body fat is going to be a lot higher. So it may not necessarily be something that you can extrapolate that data at 20% body fat and just be like, okay, 300 megs of test is going to give me gyno um, when you're at 10% body fat, which is just simply may not necessarily necessarily be the case because of that difference in aromatization. Um, so definitely there's a lot of different things to keep in play. There's a lot of different things to keep track of. And there's a lot of different things that you have to be aware of that's going on in your body um, during this process. And it all just comes down to monitor, monitoring blood work, monitoring blood pressure. How do you feel keeping track of progress, keeping track of the scale, keeping track of your gym progress, all those different things are going to come into play. And when any of those things stall, you know what to do because you're like, okay, is it my diet? Is it my training? Is it the amount of drugs I'm using? And if it's the amount of drugs you're using, use a little bit more. And if that little bit more causes you any type of unwanted negative side effects, you pull back and you know that dose that you just can't simply touch until you get to the point where you're like, okay, maybe I'm going to use a second anabolic. And that's where I would probably save it for your second, third, fourth cycle or something like that. So that's kind of my thoughts on um, the first cycle for men is that any different from um, anything you've done, anything uh, you recommend with clients or... Um, 
Well, it, I mean, it's definitely different than some of the stuff I did back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I got a pretty good handle on all of that before I started taking on other people who were already on stuff and relying upon me to get them back to a healthy place and then when appropriate, push them again. Um, I agree with, I think, literally every single word that you said. I think you explained that incredibly thoroughly and very well. I didn't even write down a single note of anything to add because by the end, you kind of came back to all those points. Um, so for the women end, we are going to save a whole episode for, okay, if you're accepting a virilization or some virilization, you know, how do you still minimize that? But also, you know, how do you define your specific femininity and all of those things? And, you know, how much is perhaps too much to go for each division where it's just like, ah, maybe you would just be better off in figure instead of women's physique division, because you could barely, you know, you could have an acceptable amount of virilization for figure, but you would have to take more drugs than maybe you should be to be a women's physique competitor. Maybe that has negative health effects too. We're, we're going to bring on some pros who are females from different categories, hopefully all at once to talk about um, that some as well. Um, I could get more into like the basic what not to do's, but I kind of already did that with the TRT section. I'll, I'll just, yeah, go ahead, Tommy, if you want to say what you have yeah. So um, based on what not to do, we, we said, you know, probably stick to testosterone as your first cycle. Um, is there any scenario, any scenario where you can think of using another anabolic androgenic steroid um, before actually using testosterone? Because the mm -hmm. only one I can think of is if someone was like, okay, I'm a couple weeks out from my first show. <laughs> it's like someone's it's a couple weeks out from their first show and they're like, got their blood work back and they're like, okay, well, I know I'm going to need TRT after this because I'm pretty fucked and they're completely natural. Let's say they're doing this first prep completely natural. They're all shut down because their nutrients are deficient as fuck and their body and their nuts are just, you know, fucked off basically um into the abyss of whatever that thing is called between your <laughs> nuts sack and muscle whatever that little like pouch is i'm not exactly gooch is that what it is gooch yeah there's the gooch there's the taint i don't know just i i just say when your balls get small enough they start retracting back inside your body like yeah. claws you know they only come out when you're like <laughs> out test again Concave, not convex, basically. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Using geometry terms for it. I fucking love it. <laughs> so basically, um, I would say in that period of time, you could maybe lean into an oral if you know that you are going to use TRT after. Reason I probably wouldn't use you know, testosterone is you don't know uh, the way that your body is going to respond in terms of estrogen. Um, and that is probably something that is important to keep track of leading into a show um, in terms of fluid retention or something like that. But that is such a, a case scenario that it's like n maybe not even worth mentioning because how many people really do their first prep natty and then realize a few weeks out that they were like, fuck this, let's let's just hop on shit. So, yeah. So you actually you just reminded me of some stuff that I meant to go back to earlier, but didn't. So the one thing that I could, it's a little bit of a stretch, but not a horrible stretch is if your estrogen is already tanked as a female on prep and for whatever reason you don't have TRT in place, you, maybe you do or don't have thyroid in place. I, I could see anavar usage, uh, but a very low dose. I'm talking like, I don't know, five migs a day, like even as low as 2.5 
maybe up to 7.5, maybe up to 10, maybe, but for first exposure, no, you know, maybe the last three weeks, if, if the feedback maybe from your last show was like, Hey, you need to come in like a little bit drier or just like a little bit fuller. Yeah. I mean, you throw in some bar, like it's, it's going to help with it. Right. <laughs> um, but and maybe you would want to lower your test a little bit too, so that the androgenicity of the anavar, the totality of the androgenicity is a little bit different. So like maybe that's one reach of a scenario where we could say that, you know, maybe tests won't be the main thing that they're throwing in for their first exposure in that very acute sense, but that's a little bit of a stretch. But to go back to earlier, um, the non-androgens and such, um, I didn't really touch too, too much on thyroid, but that could probably be a whole episode, but your thyroid hormones are going to crash during a prep, um, even if you're on TRT. So just having enough in there to at least keep you normal it is good. If you throw too much of in too much of it in there, you might start burning muscle and fat a little bit indiscriminately. Some people will say eh, it doesn't really matter if you have an anabolic base behind it because that'll quote unquote protect your muscle. But, you know, you're also putting yourself through pretty extreme, potentially muscle wasting situations with a prep. And I think throwing in something in excessive amounts that could perpetuate that isn't always the wisest. So I prefer to keep it around the physiological range. Obviously, if it push comes to shove, they only got three more weeks to get in shape and you don't want to throw in any other fat burn or anything. And they can't do any more cardio. And they can't eat any less. Sure, maybe get up, maybe get add in a little bit more T3 or armor thyroid if you're prescribed that, or so maybe T4 monotherapy, but your conversion rate of T4 to T3 at the end of a prep is not going to be good anyway. So T3 or armor thyroid are probably your better options there. Um, but then one we didn't touch on for women uh, mostly is Clen, um, Clenbuterol, because it has a very weak anabolic effect, but women don't need as strong of an anabolic effect as men. And it's not androgenic at all. So if you need fat burning and you need to hold on to training performance and you're not super sensitive to stimulants that are going to increase your heart rate and you cycle it in a way where the half-life that is more than 24 hours isn't going to impede your sleep too much or you just only keep it in there for a little bit or you just take it for, I don't know, five days a week, two days off, not because that's more effective necessarily, but just because you need some clearance of the excess amount that is built up over the course of the week. Um, plenty of people do that. Plenty of people do that for good reason. Um, I like clan more in women than I do in men, but at the same time, you have to consider, um, that a lot of these women are going to be, um, they're going to be very lean. They're going to be smaller people, all this stuff. So dosage has to be very small. Um, the risk for calcification of the heart comes into play. Um, but also just like, for example, the reason I don't, I didn't put care on clan or anything i don't even think i had her try she was so scared of it is because you could pass out really easy <laughs> um she is like care for example is something called pots syndrome i forget what it stands for but basically it, it's common for um for women i think especially white women they identified it with in the studies but women that are uh younger so like 20 to 35 ish who are lean, who naturally have lower blood pressure, who naturally have um, lower resting heart rate and all these things. A lot of women kind of fall into this category, whether they have an actual diagnosis for it or not. Um, so you need, you need to watch out for that with stimulants in general, but specifically with, with clen, because it does kind of take up the whole day and boost your heart rate for that. But 
Um, it does. Absolutely. It, it might allow you to train harder for longer in prep. Um, you could experiment with it. Even if you're in the off season, you could experiment around with it for a mini cut. I would encourage someone to try it before they would try it in a prep, not saying you should try it in general educational purposes, but if you're going to do it in a prep. You might want to try it before. Um, and don't try to run it for too, too long. You know, a lot of people, what they'll do is they'll alternate bumping up the T3 or armor thyroid, um, and then dropping that back down and then bumping the clen up and then they'll kind of take turns doing that. And then, you know, you should probably cease use of the clen completely and bring the T3, um, or armor thyroid back down to bringing you to physiological levels of thyroid hormones, uh, as you're cruising into the end of a prep, but just for cortisol concerns, not having excess water weight, just lowering allosteric load, AKA overall stress. Um, but that's, that's one thing that I figured I should mention. You got to got anything to add to that or any other compounds that we didn't already discuss that came to mind while I was talking about that? Well, I like, I like clen for both men and women. I think we, yeah, we should have mentioned clen uh, for men. I think you could use that too before, um, you know, hopping on any type of anabolic energetic steroid. Um, it may not necessarily have the same, um, you know, anti-catabolic or muscle protein uh, synthesis effects that it would on a woman, uh, that would on a man, or at least wouldn't be as dramatically noticeable, but it is solid at fat loss if you keep it at, you know, a pretty considerable low dose, not necessarily doing anything too, too crazy. Um, I'm not going to say I'm super conservative with Clen. I do think I have a cap of about 80 micrograms uh, with women and probably 100, 120 with men. Um, which may be a little bit high. I've never had to go that high, but that is a kind of arbitrary cap I'm going to set because that's the most I personally used of Clen is 120 micrograms. So I'm not going to recommend anybody go over anything I've used personally. So um, as far as T4, T3, um, you know, I typically do, I do like T3 in a prep, especially just as a replacement dose. But I think if you're getting to the point of using 50, 75, 100 micrograms of T3 um, to, you know, just you crush into this show that you set that's such an arbitrary date, you could just pull out of the show and do a later one at that point. You're going to look so much better if you just take your time versus if you, you know, lose all your muscle and just hop on stage like a fucking string bean while everyone is fucking shredded and muscular and you look like you just came out of um, a camp that's in Germany. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're the only person who's worse than me with this shit but hello yeah. <laughs> is it a studying camp is it a focusing camp oh it's a, oh yeah it's a cop never mind um, um so, all right, yeah, so, so on that note is there anything you wanted to add before i do the little outro um, no, that is honestly, yeah, I think we covered the topic really well. Um, just like we said, you know, I think I want to reiterate that um, this is probably, you know, if this is like your first exposure to, um, you know, thinking about hopping on cycle, and this is one of the first videos or podcasts that you're watching on this topic, um, you know, probably do a little bit more research as well, because we gave, you know, really good, broad, generalized kind of, you know, statements and some things you should consider and look into. But obviously, um, there's a lot more to it. And we did cover, you know, a lot, a lot, a lot, but there's so much more um, to this whole step in the journey and uh, your whole understanding of hormones that I would say, um, if you're planning on doing it anytime soon, you're watching this and you're like, fuck, you know, I'm thinking about hopping on my first cycle next week now. 
well, I would probably hire someone because you're probably not going to be able to find out all the information that you need on this subject in about a week's time. So uh, either be patient and do your research or, um, you know, outsource that whole uh, part of learning in the journey into a good coach or uh, someone of the like. Well said. Well said. Uh, yeah, this is where getting you know, really thoroughly vetting coaches, already having a lot of prior knowledge yourself, perhaps having, you know, multiple consultation calls with multiple coaches, even saying, hey, you know, this coach that I talked to under this context said this, what's your thoughts on that? Like, you know, see who really knows their shit, test it. Um, you, you, but it, it at the end of the day, man, I mean, it's, it is on coaches, but there's so many bad coaches out there that you're not going to be able to completely wade your way through them until it might be too late, especially as a female. So you absolutely, it, it's on you guys. It's on you. Like all of these things, it's you physically putting it in your body if you're going to do that. Um, so it, at the end of the day, like you, you can't push blame onto anybody else to some degree. I mean, we can speak out on things that coaches shouldn't do and such, but we can only do so much for you. So you, you really have to understand that this is your responsibility. It's your body. It's your mind. We didn't even get into, you know, too much of how things can go wrong because last two episodes really kind of covered that and the female mental part of it's going to be a little bit different so we'll focus on that when we actually have uh you know i have bb pro women on here who are thoroughly experienced with all these things um as well as i might bring care on for a medical perspective on a lot of this as well um but thank you guys tremendously for listening to this episode um we, we kind of prepared a little bit more for this one than we do and i do think it paid off because we knew there was a lot to cover we didn't want to miss too many things um, so we kind of wanted to make this the definitive, you know, pre TRT thoughts, TRT thoughts, TRT plus thoughts and blasting thoughts. You know, we wanted to cover all the different levels, um, in a way that was, you know, thorough, get some laughs in there and everything. So let us know if you think we hit the nail on the head with that. Let us know if you guys have any contributions, whether it's critiques or compliments and such, because we just want to get better and more helpful for you guys. Um, shameless plugs since we did put a decent bit of effort into this uh, we both coach I'll put our Instagrams in the bio mine I uh, just changed the name so it's at tcy.coaching if you want to follow my personal for whatever reason that's Jensen Daniel Morris um, and then teamcreateyourself.com if you want to schedule a free consultation call so if you have anything you want to pick my brain about it's a free consultation call yes I'm going to do my spiel if I think we're a good fit I'm going to try to have us work together because that would be mutually beneficial. If not, cool. You get some free information. Um, I have discount codes and shit, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, Tom, you can go plug yourself and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll hop off. So uh, my Instagram is T Schuster fit. You can find all my stuff there. So it's T S C H U S T E R fit. Um, and you can find my coaching application in my bio on my instagram so yeah thank you for watching guys this was this was fun we should do a we're gonna do this more often so thank you guys for listening enjoy the rest of your day week month go create your best self whatever the fuck i'll shut up